from day 212, shaped by the word season two, the drama of scripture. Uh, We have uh, moved from the book of Daniel to the book of Ezra. So in your Bible, you have to back up to get to Ezra. And it's like we're moving backwards in the way that our Bibles are put together, but we're actually moving forward in chronology. Um, You know, yesterday we talked about, you know, the vision, you know, that Daniel has of, you know, the restoration of the temple in troubled times and then the ultimate desolation uh, of the temple, you know, once again pointing to Christ and pointing to a temple that's yet to be rebuilt, but which will once again, uh, you know, be, uh, will be destroyed, which happened, you know, shortly after uh, the time of Christ. So you have, you know, just kind of a vision of the future. Uh, we're moving forward from the fact that God's people have been in exile. He's scattered them through the nations because of the sins that they've committed against him. But now God is is moving uh, through the kings, you know, uh, uh, you know, of, of, of Persia uh, to bring them back into their place and to reestablish them as, as his people. And, of course, this is a miraculous call back from exile. And it's almost a second exodus as he calls God's people from bondage in Egypt into the land. Now he's calling from bondage in Babylon, you know, back to the land uh, to possess it once again and to have a do-over you know, as the people of God, as they recalibrate around the commands of God. And so Ezra is a book that describes their move back into the city and the rebuilding of the temple. And Ezra is one who brings about a national revival by his devotion to the Word of God and teaching its precepts in Israel. So we're going to do kind of a broad sweep of the first couple of chapters, you know, to get you introduced to it, and then we'll take you deeper into the character of Ezra through the rest of this week. I'm Paul Camp here with David Keefe and uh, Matt Kresge, Katie Kresge, all the Kresge's. No, there are many more Kresge's actually. But anyway, uh, there's enough Kresge's. Uh, Jane is here with us as um, <laughs> their yet-to-be-born daughter, as Katie reminded us just a while ago. All of this to say, David, would you start us off with a word of prayer? Yes, let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your scriptures and the story they tell. What a wonderful story of of your grace to your people, even though they turn um, away from you time and time again, you, you extend grace and you redeem and you restore. And so we thank you for the the wonderful heart and character of, of who you are. And we ask as we look now to, to your scriptures, you would help us to behold yourself and in that would we um, will we be restored and renewed as we are reminded of the great restoration and redemption we've received in Christ Jesus. And praise all in his name. Amen. Mm-hmm. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. In any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings from the temp- for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. 
All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts in addition to all the freewill offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, the king of Persia, had them brought by Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Shezbazar, the prince of Judah. Let's skip down to chapter 2, verse 1. Now these are the people of the province who came up from Babylon, uh, the captivity of the exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to their own town, in company with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Realiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigviah, Graham, and Baniah. Uh, skipping again over, I'm not going to read all of these these names, which are really fun for you to read. We'll pause for a moment for you to speed read them, and then we'll pick back up in verse 68. Uh, when they arrived, chapter 2, verse 68, when they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the family gave freewill offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasurer for this work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 miners of silver, and 100 priestly garments. Priests, the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, the temple servants settled in their own towns, along with some of the other people, and the rest of the Israelites settled in their towns. Chapter 3, verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to rebuild the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those um, who brought free will offerings to the Lord. The first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, through the found, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not, been, yet, had not yet been laid. Then they gave money to the masons and the carpenters, and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa, as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. The second month of the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, Joshua, son of Jazdak, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from captivity to Jerusalem, began the work. They appointed Levites, 20 years old and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons and brothers, Kadmiel and his sons, descendants of Hodviah, and sons of Hinnadad, and their sons and brothers, all Levites, joined together in supervising the working on the house of God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord, He is good, His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and the Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sounds of shout from joy from the sounds of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. 
when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building, starting in chapter 4, a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God, and they've been sacrificing to him since the time of Ezrahadon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. The people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Uh, so we have uh, we have the rebuilding of temple, and of course, uh, Daniel had said during difficult times, and you see, uh, you know, the difficulty you know mounting around them uh, as uh, the people of the land first of all want own part of the temple, and of course, uh, the people of Israel are, are very cautious about this. It's it's been the incorporation of the people of the land and their worship practices that have led to their demise, and so they're going to work for the purity of the temple and the purity of the people. And this is going to be the emphasis you see when Jesus comes, you know, the Pharisees and their separation from the rest of the world. It, it starts off as a good intention to keep oneself pure before the Lord, but it goes a little bit further, uh, you know, than the Lord intended it. Mm-hmm. So we have you know, the story of the return of the exiles and the rebuilding of the temple. And, of course, the contrast in there that's kind of interesting is those who were young are shouting for joy and those who are old saying this is nothing like what Jerusalem used to be. Mm-hmm. So it is a time of great rejoicing because God is doing a new thing and of great sadness because they had forfeited a wonderful presence and work of God uh, as a nation. I wonder what it would have been like to return and to see just the rubble that this temple uh, yeah. was now. The, the, those who have seen it in its former glory um, and seen that God's presence was there and to return to it years later and to see the shape it was in. and So, yeah, I I always just sit in awe of just the... I mean, Ezra points out just how loud they were wailing. I mean, that had to have been such a powerful... You could hear it far away. ...sad moment. But something that really um, that kind of s- stuck out to me in just how he described um, and the order he described things happening as they returned is that even before the foundation was laid, um, that they were entering into these these festivals and these offerings before the Lord. So it's it's kind of neat to me that they were um, they were acknowledging him first before they started the work. I don't know. I just thought I thought that was really cool that they were coming before him and um almost like we're here but before this all gets going, we want to make sure that our hearts are right before you kind of a thing. No, and no it is the worship of the Lord, you know, coming before the building. Uh you know, you've even you know the temple of the Lord. Uh so the rebuilding of the altar is very central and of course you you even see that from the earliest time as Abraham goes through the land and builds altars, you know, to the Lord, and the worship of the Lord is at the very heart, uh, you know, of the covenant. But you also have that, you know, kind of ominous note that uh, they do so in fear of the people around them. The, the walls are torn down. Uh, you know, we we see on our TVs every day the images of Ukraine and how, you know, magnificent buildings and cities are reduced to you know mere shells and just a rubble and, and 
that's that's what Israel is coming back to. Nebuchadnezzar is so furious, you know, with a rebellion that he didn't leave one stone standing on top of another. So the desolation is there. There's no protection for them. People of the land, it's kind of the Wild West, deeply oppose them. They're under threat in their families. But, but still, they build the altar to the Lord and say, first things first. And we're going to restore our commitment and worship of the Lord. And, and of course, that's always a, a good first things first for us as well, to always come back uh, to the worship and exaltation of our Lord. Yeah, one of the things that stands out to me in, in Ezra is, as we think about the drama of Scripture, you know, just these all these themes that are emerging right here in Ezra, mm-hmm. where it begins, you know, with the sovereignty of God. He's the one who moves the heart, you know, of the king in order to bring about, you know, a remnant, a re- really restore a remnant that he's been preserving all along back from exile. So mm-hmm. you're seeing that theme of exile, a remnant, sovereignty of God, the, the worship again of God's people. Um, you know, we're seeing the temple imagery as well. And, and just all of these mm-hmm. themes are kind of culminating in this moment. And, and, and you can feel the echo of Exodus where all the people are contributing to them as they yeah. leave, mm-hmm. you know, because God has moved their hearts, you know, to do it. Yeah. And, and uh, God's you know, remnant you know, is too small and too weak in and of itself to accomplish these things for itself. But God and his, his purposes moves in the heart of a king. And we're reminded you know, from, you know, from the Proverbs that the, the, the king's mind is in the hands of the Lord. He directs it like a course of water you know, wherever he, he wills. And that God is working through all circumstances, not just you know, through his people, but for all circumstances for the good of his people. You know, are called according to his purpose. So he has a, a pagan king being very generous and offering protection in, in, in resources. Isn't there and a prophecy quite a about Cyrus specifically? Uh huh. Who was sure that by? Is. I can't remember. Uh, none other than Isaiah. Isaiah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The largest book of prophecy in the Old Testament is Isaiah. So if you, you go That's there, you guess. almost get it right. Idea. But but in this particular. Yeah. <laughs> And just cool seeing God. I mean, as He always does, He He invites His people in to help fulfill His purposes. You know, as He's moving the heart of the King, He's moving the heart of His people, and also to to be invited in to come and help rebuild and, and restore. And, and the same is true today that He's moving hearts and bringing people towards Himself to be invited into His purposes to to be His people to accomplish what He's desires to accomplish, which. It's just nice to see all throughout the scriptures. No, it is. And God is, is restoring and rebuilding his, uh, rebuilding his people. And, and again, it's uh, a cause for great joy because God is, is restoring. And it's also a, a cause for great sadness because uh, his people had been unfaithful to him and had forfeited his, his presence. And so there, there's a meager beginning as they, they start over amidst the rubble. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, the incredible grace that you have given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that uh, you are sovereign over the kings of the earth and the rulers of the world, and you move them according to your plan and your purpose. When things seem uh, wildly out of control and beyond our ability, uh, there is nothing that is out of your control nor beyond your ability. We thank you that we can entrust ourselves to the God who causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.